0: Already said that, but I want you to feel welcome from me, and then also all of our campuses—not just here at Lone Tree, Highlands Ranch, Castle Rock—those that live stream us right now, that'll be listening at different places. It never fails; I get home on a Saturday night after teaching, and I will already have email from people listening in different parts of the countries, uh, at times different parts of the world. So we want to make sure and let everyone know who tunes in, regardless of where you are. We really appreciate you being a part of the larger JFC family. We are talking about Noah. Pastor Todd, our children's pastor here at this campus, found this cool story. What if Noah tried to build his ark here in America today? Here in America today, modern time Noah. The Lord spoke to Noah and said, in six months I'm going to make it rain until the whole earth is covered with water and all the evil people are destroyed, but I want to save a few good people and two of every kind of living thing on the planet, I'm commanding you to build an ark. <clears throat> In a flash of lightning, he delivered the specifications for an ark. Okay, said Noah, trembling with fear and fumbling with blueprints. Six months and it starts to rain thunder the Lord. You better have the ark complete or learn to swim for a really long time. Six months passed, the skies clouded up, rain began to fall. The Lord saw that Noah was sitting on his front yard weeping, and there was no ark. Noah, shouted the Lord, where's the ark? Lord, please forgive me, Beg Noah. I did my best, but there were big problems. First, I had to get a building permit from the ark construction project, and your plans didn't meet code, so I had to hire an engineer to redraw the plans. Then I got into a big fight over whether or not the ark needed to have a fire sprinkler system installed. (laughs) Then my neighbor objected, claiming that I was violating zoning by building the ark in my front yard, so I had to get a variance from the city planning commission. Then I had problems getting enough wood for the ark because there was a ban on cutting trees to save the spotted owl. I had to convince the U.S. Fish and Wildlife that what, what I needed the wood for wouldn't hurt the owls, but they wouldn't let me, so I was unable to catch any owls to go on the trip, so no owls. The carpenters formed a union, went out on strike. I had to negotiate a settlement with the National Labor Relations Board before anyone would pick up a hammer or a saw. Now we have 16 carpenters going on the boat and still no owls. Then I started gathering up animals and got sued by an animals right group. They objected to me taking only two of each kind. Just when I got the suit dismissed, the EPA notified me that I couldn't complete the arc without filling an environmental impact statement on your proposed flood. They didn't taint kindly to the idea that they had no jurisdiction over the conduct of a supreme being. Then the Army Corps of Engineers wanted a map of the proposed new floodplain. I sent them a globe. Right now... Right <laughs> now... <laughs> Right now, I'm still trying to resolve a complaint from the Equal, Op- Equal Employment Opportunity Commission over how many Croatians I'm supposed to hire. The IRS has seized all my assets, claiming I'm trying to avoid paying taxes by leaving the country. I just got a notice from the state about owing them some kind of use tax. I really don't think I can finish the ark for at least another five years, Noah wailed. The sky began to clear. The sun began to shine. A rainbow arced across the sky. Noah looked up and smiled. You mean you're not going to destroy the earth? Noah asked, hopefully. No, the Lord said, the government already did it for me. Pays to know which audience you're talking to. Okay. (laughs) On your seat, you'll find the notes. If you want to grab them, follow along with me while all of our campuses get ready. It is a series on Genesis. And what we've been trying to do is take it chapter by chapter and teach uh, at least the character in that chapter or some of the bigger issues from that particular chapter right there. I confess from the very first message It's a seven-week series. How in the world do we get through Genesis in seven weeks? We're not going to. What we decided to do, we had a planning meeting Wednesday and Thursday of this week. We said to ourselves, we're just going to have to come back and do a part two of Genesis, hit the second half, and we'll begin with uh, Joseph in that second half, talk about Abraham then. Be many different things that we'll go into. So there's just too much for us to get covered in this first half. But uh, just to let you know, we think probably around February or March, we'll come back into the second half of Genesis and spend some time there uh, going back over. Uh, we are going to be talking about Noah. But before I do that, let me, let me give props to Pastor DJ and to our teaching team. I thought DJ did the best job he's ever done. But our teaching team just continually, in, in my mind, it just rises to the occasion time after time after time. It really has become the strength of this church and folks, I'd like to publicly thank them for all their hard work. Can we just let them know how much we appreciate what they do? If you're sitting at any of our campuses, you know how true it is. Every one of those pastors has is is become a just phenomenal teacher. Okay, uh, talking about Noah, if you'll look at the top of your notes, Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 and 9, I'd like us to read it out loud together. One, two, three. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air. For I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. So I want to take this few verses of Scripture and build my message around it. And uh, I begin with just these few thoughts. Number one, uh, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, Pin these words, about 3,000 years ago, there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. Uh, Noah's time is better than 5,000 years ago. And what we see happening during Noah's time is that Noah is living in a generation of people who have recognized that the fall of man was, was man deciding that I don't need God, I can go my own way. God created man not for man to be evil. God created man with free will. Whenever you give something free will, there is always the chance that free will allows for a person to do the opposite of what you want, yes or no. If you don't believe in free will, don't get married. (laughs) I'm being dead serious with you right now. Here's the problem with making a marriage work. A marriage always takes two people going in the same direction to make it work, doesn't it? Just because you have one who wants it to work does not mean it will work if you don't have both in the same position. The same thing is true in the relationship that we have with God. God wants it to work. God put us in the perfect environment. God gave us every advantage, but what he did was create man with free will to choose to love God and choose to follow God. And when man decided, I'm not going to do it God's way, evil entered the world. And what we have here, then, I'm trying to point and connect the idea there's nothing new under the sun. The fall of man, since the fall of man, we have lived in with man not being a moral, upright creature. Man by himself, the inclination of his heart is to do evil. When anybody ever asks you, how can you believe in God when you see an eight year old rape or you see an earthquake or you see, can, you need to back up and go, why are you blaming God? Man chose to go his own way and now reaps the consequences. Amen. Amen. And to not understand that is just to simply be ignorant again of how it works. Right. Amen. When I put down the idea that there's nothing new under the sun, I want to throw out a couple of things that I think you probably are aware of. Uh, here, here's how I see it playing out in my household right now. Uh, as, as three of my five are in college... They are being taught this philosophy, man plus God equals evil. Man plus God equals evil. And this is how it's spelled out for them. Uh, They will say the Inquisition. They will say the Crusades. And they will say that every war that's ever been fought has been fought over people who believed in God and who used their relationship with God in order to foster evil on the planet. I would say to you, Why don't you get your head in the game and look at it for what it is? Man without God is evil. Any person who went and perpetrated those wars or tortured any person or killed, raped, plundered, did any of those things, they may have said they knew God, but they actually didn't know God because a relationship with God produces righteousness, not unrighteousness. Man with God equals righteousness. Man without God equals evil. And just because somebody at an academic level doesn't understand that doesn't mean you need to sit there and take it like it's gospel. Spell it out. That's right. So how do you know it's the truth? What happened in your life? Amen. If you really know God, then the fruit of the Spirit is inside of you, which is love, joy, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, mercy, gentleness, and self-control. If you're in a relationship with God, love is happening in your heart, not hate. Do you hear me? If you're in a relationship with God, peace happens in your heart. Not war. If you're in a relationship with God and it's real, and it's growing, and it's active, and you're walking with God, then patience is in your heart, and kindness is in your heart, and mercy is in your heart. And if you're not in a relationship with God, here's what's in your heart. War, murder, lying, envy, stress. Amen. You hear me? Yes, sir. I'll just say it one more time. Man plus God equals righteousness. Man without God equals evil. Call it for what it is. It's too late now to not like the result and blame God. Amen. Amen, sir. When the choice was given, we went our own way. And I heard somebody say one time, well, that was Adam and that was Eve. What about us? You go home and be good then. <laughs> no, you listen to me right now. Let me show you how close you are to your ancestors. If you think you can do better, you go home this week and you don't sin one time. You don't get mad one time, you don't say one bad word, you don't think one bad thought, you don't envy, you don't judge, you go home and be good and then come back and tell me how you did. And only one of two answers will come out of my mouth, liar or I told you so. (laughs) Everyone in this room, if you are honest, you walk with any humility, you recognize fallen nature. How about this? How many of you have a two-year-old? Maybe you wish you didn't have a two-year-old right now. All right. You you know for a fact, if you want to see the fallen nature in activity, some of you are laughing because you know what I'm about to say. If you want to see the fallen nature of man on an innocent level, granted on an innocent level, but if you want to see selfishness instead of a child with the automatic propensity to share and to give and to love, it goes more like this. That's my toy. Whack. Whack. Yes or no? I don't like what you're doing, so watch me throw a fit. You, do you realize you never have to teach a child to be stingy? You're right. You're right. Tell me, right. do you have to teach them to throw fits? Do you have to teach them to exhibit the fallen? Of course not. They're born with it. Now, Innocent at a two-year-old level, but nonetheless, it becomes the proof. We are born with that. Here's why you need God. You cannot overcome that fallen nature trying to be good. Amen. Being good won't get you any place. In fact, Paul said this. If you use the flesh, this body, in order to try to tame the flesh, that fallen nature, you actually entice the flesh. In other words, you'll end up doing worse trying to control it than you will Allowing the Holy Spirit to live inside of you, and to do and to will for His good pleasure. I don't know if you understand what I just taught you. In other words, in other words, your job is never to leave here and be good. Your job is to leave here and surrender to God and let the Holy Spirit work inside of you. That's the only way you'll ever see the new nature. You must cooperate. And let the Holy. You must live life with Christ. Yeah, Does that make any sense? Yes, sir. If you're not living life with Christ, you're stuck in the old nature. You know, that old nature, I didn't say this in the other services, but let me talk about that old nature for a minute. We're in the week of Halloween, and everybody's talking about a zombie. What is the old nature? It's a zombie. How do you know that? Because the Bible says to reckon him as dead, and yet how does he come back to life? He's a a dead man that gets up out of the grave. And have you ever been at that place where you felt like, God, you've finally done such a great work in my life, only at some point to find that old thing come back? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? A habit, an attitude, an action, a word, anger, whatever. Something that you finally overcome and you let your guard down or you're in the wrong situation at the wrong time and boom, that thing is back there. What is that? It's the living dead. The Bible says to reckon him as dead. He's been nailed to the cross. What is it then when I sin? It's not Christ. It's the old nature. Still trying. In fact, how about this? You're not really born again unless you recognize I'm in a battle. If you wake up every day and go, you know, I have no battle. You're not born again. Well, I'll just, I'll leave that there because your amens are making me be quiet. Here, here's <laughs> any theory that says man walking with God produces evil is absolutely wrong. Wrong Crusades, inquisitions, etc. How, how do you know? How do you know they didn't know God? Because we can judge by the fruit. Did you hear me? We're allowed to judge the fruit. Murder is not a fruit of the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite stories, I'm just going to take a few more minutes this morning. One of my favorite stories, uh, Peter, and John, or Peter and James are walking with Jesus and they come into a town that mistreats them and John goes, uh, let us call down fire out of heaven like Elijah used to. And I just throw this out. Would you, would you just love every once in a while to have that spiritual gift? So call down a little fire. Doesn't have to be a big fire. A little fire would be fine with me. That guy, his car, that parking space right now. <laughs> just a little fire. Doesn't have to be a big one. So, so Jesus turns to him. And this is what Jesus said. He said, you don't even know what spirit you're of. The Son of Man didn't come to destroy but to save lives. So here, here, look, look, follow me. The disciples' model was a biblical model, but he was a model for a different age and a different time. With the advent of Jesus, we no longer live under the Old Testament, the old ways. We live under a new covenant whereby we bless our enemies. God is trying to reconcile us back to the original intent of creation. I don't think you just heard what I said. The mission of Jesus is to bring us back to the original intent of creation. God wants us walking in the original. Walking with him in a world that looks like what he created. And when it's all said and done, that's what it's going to be put back to. We are representatives right now of a different kingdom so that when people look at their lives, they're supposed to become aware of a spiritual kingdom that's real. Do I make any sense with that? Nothing new under the sun. Man without God always does what he does. Anybody that lives in 2011 and says, man, the world's never been this bad. The world's never seen stuff like this. That's a foolish statement. Since the fall of man, there has been evil on the face of the earth and people have been brutally ugly to each other if they don't have God. We should fight for people to know God. All right, let me do this. Noah found favor, verse 8. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. I taught this a few weeks ago. Let me just throw it out again. One day of favor is worth a lifetime of labor. If you're tired right now, if you haven't cleared out the cobwebs, or if you're thinking about what I just said, put it down for a second, come up to speed and listen. One day of favor. Is worth a lifetime of labor. What do you mean by that? I am not saying that your hard work does not matter. I am not saying that a good, strong work ethic is not important. Teach your children to work hard, work hard yourself. God rewards hard work. Here's what I am saying God can do more for you in one minute than you can do for yourself in a lifetime. Amen. Praise God. God can make things happen for you. God can open doors for you that no one else can go through because he opened that door for you. God can put you in places that no one else will ever be able to go into if you trust him. Give him your best, but always pray for favor. Listen, let me tell you how it works, give you a few examples. Whenever I stand up here to teach you, I always pray, God, give me favor when I have to teach these people. Why? First of all, favor allows people that are older than I am to see me as their pastor. Favor allows me to say difficult things. I'm not standing up here ever running a popularity contest. I am always trying to tell the truth. I am always pushing people. I am always challenging people. Favor allows you to do that and have people like you when it's all said and done. Favor lets them come back next week. Does that make any sense? I pray for favor for my children. I want my children to have opportunities that I can't provide for them and that they can't provide for them. I need God to show up in my kids' life to give them chances that no one else is going to have. Listen, right now, they're they're in a competitive market field. We live in a very... Listen to this. The the economy right now is the roughest that I've ever seen it. My children are going to graduate into an economy, go after jobs. What's going to give them a chance? Well, I would say to you, there's a bunch of kids out there with degrees who are smart. How about this? They need the favor of God to rest on their head so that when an employer looks at them, he goes, I don't know why, but you. Favor separates us from what's normal. Favor changes the odds to our favor. Favor causes things to happen that you are not smart enough to make happen. You need God's favor. So every day, pray, God, give me favor in my marriage, favor in my finances, favor in my business. How about this? People with favor act different than people who don't have it. They're more bold. Amen. They act like they're special. Amen. I watch my wife. My wife, my wife thinks she's God's favorite. <laughs> I am not kidding you. If you were to ask her, are you God's favorite? She will say, yes, I'm God's favorite. And I have struggled at times with my own stuff where I felt like I'm earning God's favor. I'm trying to perform for his smile rather than live from his smile. My wife never, ever struggles, ever, with nothing. She just <laughs> makes me mad because <laughs> I'm over here praying, oh, God, please help us. She's like, yes, It's going to. A person who has God's favor lives different. And I would just say to you, that difference right there is a noticeable thing that people like. When you have favor, people like you because the personality is different than the person who, oh, I just don't know. You, you, you're, you're your own self-fulfilling prophecy. People in the back, look, look at me. You can become your own self-fulfilling prophecy. You walk with an attitude of, God doesn't love me, so why would anybody else? you hurt yourself and you need to believe that you have and, and if you sit there just go I'm I just not sure if God really does like me and if God really does love me and if God really does care for me then, then I don't know what Bible you're reading That's right. and I'm not sure if you're in a relationship with Jesus but I can assure you right now God has decided once and for all the favor issue because he sent his son to die for you and when God looks at you if you're in Christ all he sees is the good stuff in your life he does not see the bad stuff so wherein lies the problem the problem lies right here and that we don't see the good stuff; we see the bad stuff. So that when we pray, we pray through the filter of what's broken rather than what's right. Gosh, I'd like to spend some time on that right there. Let, let me talk about favor for just a second. Several weeks ago, you've heard us mention, uh, and we're, we're close to um, we're close to 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 talking in great deal about what's going on. But you heard us mention several weeks ago our Lakewood campus. Um, let me, let me talk about a favor very quickly. Uh, earlier this year, I heard the Holy Spirit tell me to, to take um, Pastor Evan and Pastor Emily and get them ready. Get them ready. That's all I heard, Just get them ready. So I took them out, and I said, here's what I want you to do. I don't know what the Lord is going to do, but we're going to plan another campus here very soon. I don't know where. I don't know when. I don't know how. But I want you to begin putting your team together. Let's get ready so that when God does it, we're ready. Let's act on faith right now. Let's believe that God is for us. Let's See, this is what favor does. When you believe you have God's favor, you live your life accordingly. You begin to put things together. You act like God likes me. So I said, let's put together this team. Let's get it ready. And within a matter of weeks, we get this call from Bear Valley Church, who says, in, in so many words, uh, would you come And would you just simply? We have a million and a half dollar property. We owe two hundred fifty thousand dollars on it. Would you guys come and would you just take the debt on and take the debt over? You can have the church is failing and we're not going to be able to make it. It's going to go back to a developer. God set this aside to be used for His purposes. What do you say? We prayed about that. We looked at that, and I felt like this is what the Lord was saying. This is this is what I'm about to offer you. How many of you would love? How would you? How many of you would love if you were a businessman? How many of you would love? to spend 250 to make $1.5? Would you do it? It's not a trick question. Straight up. Would you spend 250 to make $1.5? If you wouldn't, <laughs> there's another story for another time. Okay, so I just took this attitude right here. They wanted us to jump through a few hoops initially. And I just said no. I said, I'm not jumping through hoops. Here's the deal. If this is God and he wants us to have it, he's going to give it to us lock, stock, and barrel. I'm just going to sit here and wait. If we're not supposed to have it, we're not supposed to have it. And I'm not walking through anything that's not God. I've created too many Ishmaels in my life. Come on. Come on fast. Come on fast. I've been too intimate with the things of this world for too long that produce too much crap. I don't need that. any. I'm, not, I'm, I'm too old now to be raising a bunch of illegitimate projects. Yes or no? You ever, I mean, you know what? I got enough mouths to feed. So why would I add any more that don't need to be on there? So I just finally said, no, I'm not doing anything about it. If God wants me to have it, I want a total, total surrender. Then I'll know it's God. We hemmed and we hawed and we were out of time. The bank was going to close, blah, 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 blah. Bottom line, they came and said, lock, stock, and barrel, it's yours, please. Just for the amount we owe. Nothing else. Just assume it, buy it, do whatever you want to do. You know, it was really amazing about that. Let me give you three facts of favor. One, the deal was presented to us that, no, how many of you know, how many of you know you cannot go to a church that's struggling and tell them, listen, you're struggling, why don't you let us take you over? I mean, how, how, do you, how do you think that's going to go? Like, like not good, right? So we just, you can't do things like that. All right, th- then, then one of our, our board members uh, gets up on the roof. <laughs> We're trying to find reasons not to do the deal in due diligence. He gets up on the roof, he goes, bad roof up here, it's a bad roof. So we call the insurance company, their insurance company. And we said, listen, there's a bad roof on here and you guys need to replace this roof. Well, this guy comes out, he hems and he haws. And he goes on, but the guy on our side of it is just unbelievable. He's just talking to the guy and finally he just tells him, hey, listen, you guys need to pay up, man. The bottom line, this church has been paying its, its, its premium to you for years and years and years and years and years. You owe them on this roof. Come on. Make it right. And the guy goes, all right. <laughs> Listen, $50,000 roof paid for right there. Three days later, I walk into this building, and a guy hands me a check for $50,000 in order to put it wherever you need it, Pastor. To help this church go forward. A hundred thousand dollar turnaround in three days for that building. You tell me how to make things like that happen. Because I'm not smart enough. And you know what's really funny? I haven't come and asked for any money for the project yet. I'm going to, but I haven't come yet. <laughs> I have not, I have not said one word about it yet. Have not have not presented any. Any building, blah, blah, blah at all. And the reason is simply this. Until I know what the actual cost that we need over there, I'm not going to stand up here and be all over the place. We've got architects right now, and we're trying to figure out exactly what we're going to need and what it's going to cost. And then I will come back and I will say, hey, here's what we have left, and let's kick this thing out and get it done. We want to bring that building up to speed so it looks like a JFC campus. When it's all said and done. But the bottom line right now, folks, that is, that is favor. You cannot make things like that happen in your life. And so I know you go, well, you're a pastor though. Things like that happen for you. Bull. <laughs> things like that do not happen for me. When God's favor kicks into line, things like that happen. When you are willing to act like I have God's favor and position yourself, but I would say this to you. Had I not moved ahead of time and the deal came my way, I couldn't have responded to it. I wonder how many times we pray for God's favor, but we don't act like we have it. So when God tries to give it, we can't do anything with it. We're not in a position to do anything with it. It passes us right by. Wasted opportunities. Does that make any sense? Or am I just preaching? Am I just talking? Noah found favor. One day of favor is worth a lifetime of labor. Pray for God's favor. Let me tell you three things said about Noah that I want said about us, said about me. First of all, Noah was a righteous man. Easy to put in there, woman too. This is not gender specific. It's just being a righteous person. Okay, if you have a pen, this would be a great place to get it out. Let me give you a definition for righteousness. If you don't know this and you struggle with it, Let me give you a definition of righteousness. Get your pen out, pencil out, marker out, whatever you need. Okay, here's the definition of righteousness. Ted, righteousness means right standing with God. That's all it means. It means to be right with God. You're in a right relationship with him. What it it plays out like is this. When you go to pray, instead of feeling like there's so much junk in the way and so much stuff that you have to say, I'm sorry for and I'm wrong about and God, I wish you'd take care of this. Instead of feeling that way, you go into relationship with him with the attitude. Everything's right between us and we're moving forward. I'm not standing here apologizing. Mm -hmm. I wonder how many of our prayers and how much of our time in our prayer is spent with us confessing all of our stuff that's wrong. Over and over and over and over again. Now you go, yeah, but the Bible tells us to confess our sin. It absolutely does, and you should confess your sin. But if your prayer life is made up of you always talking about what's wrong, you have bought a a lie from the enemy who is hindering your prayers and has caused it to be ineffectual and without strength. Confess your sin. You know the best way to confess your sin? Confess it on the spot when you sin. Why wait 12 hours? Why wait 15 hours? Confess your your sin on the spot and get up and move on. Confess your sin and move on. When you pray, if you are righteous, then you're in right standing with God. And that prayer that you're praying should not be spent in sorrow and in constant turmoil. Why don't you spend it like God likes you? God has already died for you. Jesus has already forgiven you. Let's pray going forward, not wallowing in self-pity. Do you hear me on this? So listen, listen, listen. So a righteous man or woman, this was said about Noah, he was a righteous man. Here's the deal I want you to understand. We have an advantage Noah didn't have. Noah didn't have Jesus. This is really important. What what we have, uh, before Jesus came on the scene, this is what the Bible says about righteous people. Uh, Abraham, it says that God considered him to be righteous because he believed God. He had faith. Noah obviously believed God, so God attributed to him righteousness. But it was a different righteousness. It was a a righteousness that God said is okay. It's a righteousness that they ended up in heaven. But the way had not been made as a sacrifice for them to be in God's presence. So even though they were considered righteous, the work wasn't fully done. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. When Jesus died for you on the cross, God took what belonged to Jesus and gave it to you. And he took what belonged to you, Ruby, and gave it to Jesus. He did it once and for all so that when God looks at your life, he sees what Jesus should have. Jesus took what we should have. And that is a complete, full, done, forever work. And if you really believe it, then don't undo it by adding your stuff to it. Why don't you live like you're the righteousness of God in Christ? Did you just hear me? They had a form of righteousness. We have complete righteousness. You are, if you're in Christ, you are righteous with God. If you are in Christ, your sins are forgiven. If you are in Christ, you are free. If you are in Christ, every time you pray, God sees Jesus. Do you understand this? Because it makes the difference than how you pray. It is your own mind that condemns you when you go to pray. So what do I do with that old mind? Nail it to the cross and begin to pray like you're forgiven, like you are free, and like you are righteous. If you believe that you're righteous, you pray different. We don't pray, God help me. We begin to pray, God what now? Make any sense righteousness of God, the righteousness of God, not the righteousness of Noah, not the righteousness of Abraham, the righteousness of God, Amen. and I want to teach, All right. Jesus, Jesus with the Pharisees says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of a Pharisee, you'll never get into heaven, a legalist reads that and thinks to themselves, I've got to be better than a Pharisee, I've got to be a good man. Here's the problem with thinking that way. Pharisees kept 600 and some odd laws. They washed their hands a particular way. They ate particular foods. They wore particular clothes. They didn't talk to particular people. All to be righteous. So God comes to them. They missed the point entirely by being so religious. God comes to them through Jesus and he says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of a Pharisee, you'll never get to heaven. He's not saying you've got to keep 615 laws or 650 laws or 792 laws. You better find a righteousness that's better than a man's righteousness if you're ever going to make it to heaven, and Jesus is the ultimate righteousness. God doesn't want you to be good. God wants you to be fully righteous, and the only way it's possible, Jesus Christ. Put on Jesus. Every day wake up and put on Christ. Every day wake up and accept his work on the cross for your sin. Every day wake up and go, Jesus did the work for me so I don't have to even try. I'm going to live. Amen. That makes sense. Yes. Friend, you are not free unless that is your theology. What's really wow, take it out of here and live it. Don't amend me. Don't underline it. Take it out of here and live it. So Noah was a righteous man. Noah was blameless among the people of his time. I love that statement because we tend to look at someone else's time and think, wow, it's evil, or our own time and think how evil it is. And I know we got people living today who think it's impossible. Based Based on how wicked it is today, it's impossible to live... A lifestyle that's different. It's it's impossible to, to not be caught up in all the stuff. It's impossible. And I go back to what I said to you. Here Noah was found blameless among the people of his time. This is interesting. So Ben, listen to this. Jesus in Matthew twenty four thirty seven, Jesus said this, as it was in the days of Noah so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. What does he mean by that? It will be just as wicked in our day as it was in Noah's day. Guess what God wants? People who are blameless in their generation. Look at me. God doesn't want you caught up with all the stuff of this world. God wants you free of it. God wants you to be different. You want to know what holiness is? Holiness is not some beehive hairdo. It is not some... Formal dress that covers your ankles and your toes. It is not a burqa. It is not wearing jewelry. It is not a hairstyle. Holiness is a person set aside for the purposes of God in their generation. I had a young man look at me and said, it's impossible for me not to consider alcohol in the generation I live in. Fine. All you've done, you, you have empowered the liar in your life. The devil has come to you spit a lie at you and you said yes to it and now that thing controls you because here's what you told me. You can't do anything about this. You won't do anything about it. You have said it's too hard and it's too difficult. I didn't say this was easy. You know, man, I remember when I first became a Christian, if you think I'm loud, if you, if you think I am out there, this is 47 years of tone down. <laughs> Almost 48. When I first became a Christian man, I got this big puff ink shirt. You know what puff ink is? It's that ink that is just puffy. It said Jesus right across it in pink. And it had all the names for Jesus. And I had a Bible and I carried it around with me everywhere I went. And I remember going to a court system. This guy this guy that I was trying to witness to had to go for court. So, so he was not a believer and he needed some moral support. I said, hey, I'm going to come down with you. So I stood in that court and I had my Jesus shirt on and I had my Bible and I remember being looked at. People walk by and say things to me. I I remember just, I, I remember setting myself up to be ridiculed. I did it. Set myself up to be ridiculed. And I remember some guy telling me, man, what a wuss. Called me a wuss. I remember turning and saying, If you think that it takes a wuss to do this, put the shirt on and carry the Bible for a day and tell me if it takes a wuss or a man. You tell me. So you don't have the courage to even step out here and try it. Don't tell me about that right there. I would just speak to you to be different in this generation. Don't get the wrong idea. It is difficult, it is hard, it makes you a target. God loves boldness. You want God's attention? Walk different than this world. You want God to look at you? You want God's favor? You want God to show up in your life? Show him he's number one on the radar screen. Raise your children that way. Live your marriage that way. Spend your money that way. Ooh. was blameless amongst the people of his time. Last but not least, he walked with God. Trying to find a good definition for what it means to walk with God. Simply put, it's just his manner of life. The way he did what he did, he did it with the idea that God was with him. Can I tell you what I most admire about Noah? Just very quickly. I admire Noah's faithfulness. Next week I'm going to teach on when a good man stumbles. Noah has an interesting story. Noah did awesome things for God, but Noah had a problem. We'll talk about Noah's problem next week. What do you do when the righteous stumble? Noah, though, here's the thing I admire about most in his life. He was a faithful man. Let me just give you a couple of quick bullet points. Took Noah approximately 100 years to build the ark. God visited him when he was 500 years old. It began to rain when he was 600 years old. In the New Testament, the book of 2 Peter says this about Noah. He was a preacher of righteousness. Here's the picture that the Bible paints about Noah. For 100 years while building the ark, Noah would preach righteousness. And here's what he would preach. It's going to flood. God's going to destroy the earth. Get on the ark so you can be safe. Get on the ark so you can be safe. God is going to judge the earth. Get on the ark so you can be safe. Now, here's my question to you. Noah does that for 100 years. After 100 years... God moves. How many people actually got on the ark? How many? Eight people. Noah's three sons, his three daughter in laws, he and his wife. Okay, now I want to ask you a question. I want you to be honest. Don't be religious. Be honest. If we were to judge Noah's ministry by numbers, how many would say he was successful? That's a good point, isn't it? A hundred years. And eight people respond? I mean, how do you tell you're bored? Well, I, look, it's working. We're doing good. <laughs> Give me 25 more years, man. <laughs> what is eight? Eight in 100. One, one every 12 years. <laughs> we got number three. Hold on. <laughs> Bitty boy. How'd you like those odds? That's tough, man. Okay, two statements. Number one, if the best you do is to influence your family for eternity, you are successful. I promise you on the day you stand before God, look at me and everybody in this room will stand before God. You say what you want to right now. You repeat the mantra of the world that when you die, you die. I got news for you. You're going to wake up and look straight into the face of God. You will give account for your life. But more importantly than that, you're going to look over and you're going to see the ones you knew here and there. And I want you to hear me and I want you to look me in the eye. If all you do in this life is influence it so that your wife and your daughters make it, you were successful. You will never look back and say, gosh, I was wrong. You will feel everything you're supposed to feel if your family makes it. But I'll also throw this out to you. How would it be to see one missing? What would you give in return To grab that one back. Would you trade everything? You Bet I would. If your ministry. If your life serving Christ. Influences no one else but your children. If at least they see it was real. Then you did well. Mama. If it doesn't seem like any of it's working. And all you can do is be faithful. And let me talk to you about Noah for just a minute. For a hundred years, he stayed the course. I need to be honest with you. I don't think I could do what Noah did. God visits Noah one time, and he never comes back and gives him a pep rally during the hundred years. Do you think a one-time visit from God is enough to keep you on task when everything around you says you're an idiot, you're a fool, and God's not going to do this, and where is your God, and no one helps you, and no one's behind you. I'm just asking. Be honest. Do you think you could do it? Because I had to honestly answer, I don't think I could spend 100 years. Now, let's, let's boil it down. Noah lived to be 900 years old, so let's put it down in perspective of our life over 72 years average. It would be the equivalent of you spending 10 to 15 years of your life on one project with everybody around you telling you, what are you doing God not giving you a pep rally. All you've got is one visitation from God. Can you hang on for 10 or 15 years? Can you listen to me? That is faithfulness. Faithfulness is what you do when it's not fun anymore. Faithfulness is what you do when everybody else changes their mind. Faithfulness is what you do when it hurts. Faithfulness is what you do because you made a promise. Yeah, I know. Don't see much of that in this world anymore, huh? Bygone era, caveman talk, Noah foolishness. I would say to you, you rely on God being faithful to you. When's the last time you came to church instead of your list asking him what he can do for you? When's the last time you came saying, God, what can I do for you? Faithful. Faithful. Faithful is a work of the Holy Spirit. Faithful. I told this story using Pastor DJ's mom and dad who were missionaries all of their life. And now his body's riddled with cancer. And he's dying. We want to throw a special recognition for a couple who lived their life in a very honorable way, very faithful, but very underneath the radar screen. We want to do something for them that is unbelievably fantastic. They don't have any money. Spent their whole life in obscurity. (laughs) So we thought, rather than raise money for our new building... What if we had Pastor DJ's mom and dad come in and we raise money for them and we just let God take care of our new building? I know, that's stupid, isn't it? Kingdom of God's a real different way of working. And if you think I'm stupid, it's probably why I'm the pastor and you're not. (laughs) This is a true story. Two old missionaries coming back from Africa spent 40 years in obscurity in the Congo working without their church ever knowing what they were doing. Working with very few breaks, working at a time when in the early 19th century it was exceptionally hard to do the work. They did it without thanks. They did it as unto the Lord. They did it until his body broke down and he had to come back home as an old man. They left Africa on a boat that Teddy Roosevelt happened to get on after a hunting safari. It took them several days to cross the Atlantic back into New York Harbor. When they got to New York, the reporters were there, the cameras were there. There was a parade. Thousands upon thousands of people were there to greet Teddy Roosevelt, the great white hunter. The missionary and his wife walked to the front of the boat and not one person had come to welcome him home. 40 years they worked and it cost them everything. The old man was bitter. He walked down the gangplank to a confetti parade for a man who was popular and right through it to his hotel. He got into his room with his wife, and he confessed to her how bitter he was. He said, I gave my whole life, and now my health is gone. And for what? No one cares. It doesn't matter. People are more interested in the here and now and the flashy things. It doesn't even matter the work that we did. He turned, and he walked into the back room, and his wife did what only a wife in that situation can do. She went to God. When the old man walked back out, she said, I think I have a word. Do you want to hear it? The old man said, yes. She said, listen, Teddy came home, so he got his parade. You're not home yet. When you come home, you just wait to see who meets you on the other side of that shore. You wait to see what the parade's going to be like. You wait to see what the angels say, what your friends say, the great cloud of witnesses that are cheering you on. Wait till you see Jesus himself say thank you for 40 years of labor and forgiving your body. That's faithfulness. God rewards it. Now, old man, remember why we did what we did. Look at me. Disillusioned, hurt, confused, don't understand faithful. God is a rewarder. God never forgets. And you know what? I am sick and tired of apologizing to ask people to work for Jesus. Let me tell you the truth. You are blessed if you get to work for Jesus. If you get to bow your knee, give your life, break your back, and give your all, God writes it down, keeps great notes, and someday you'll thank me for the fact that I offered you the opportunity to serve him, but you'll curse me. If I withhold from you the opportunity to serve Jesus, I don't care how old you are or how young you are, we need to change the mindset here, now. You are privileged to do anything for Jesus. Jesus is worthy of all service. Give all your money to him. Give all your life to him. Give your marriage to him. Give your best to him. Give your heart to him. And if you came to Christ because some preacher stood up and said, come to Jesus and he'll make everything better, let me tell you, how you really need to come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and die. Come to Jesus and give your life up. Lay it down at the foot of the cross. Surrender everything you have. Give it all to Jesus. Because if you don't come that way, friend, God's not into fans. He's into disciples. I will not apologize for giving you the opportunity to surrender everything to Jesus. Huh. Huh. If you don't know that, you don't know Jesus. That's a mighty big word. But I'm telling you the truth right now. I've given my life to it too. You know what? I live in a day and age where pastors have it easy. It may not always be so easy though. And I say to you, If you're privileged enough to lay down your life for Jesus, the reward when you go home will be worth it all. Quit living for this life, be faithful to Him. Lord, we love you. God, all we can do is bring it to the end of a message and let the Holy Spirit speak. Be faithful. God, I, without any question, ask right now that you would make it abundantly clear. What's being said. I know there are people in this room that are going to wrestle with this message and that's good. Let them wrestle to completion. Don't let them wrestle like Jacob said. Say, let go of me. Let them wrestle till you touch them. Wrestle till they're changed. Wrestle till they walk with a limp. Wrestle so they'll never be the same again. Get a hold of them, God. Get a hold of them right now change our thoughts change our hearts consume us God look inside of us and see if there be any wicked way in us and God create a clean heart church I'm going to do something very bold right now heads are bowed eyes are closed listen to my words you've never done this before you've never done this before. If you are here and you've not given your life to Christ, if you were here and you've never said, God, be merciful to me and forgive me of my sin. If you are not the righteousness of God in Christ because you've never said, God, forgive me and help me, then I'm going to offer you right now the opportunity to know God's love and to be forgiven and to be brought into his family. I'm going to make it very clear to you. I'm going to use the terminology I just used. God is not looking for fans. God is not looking for cheerleaders. God is looking for disciples. People who are willing to say, I'll give it all. I'll give it all. I'll give it all. I'll give all of my life. I'll give all of my heart. I'll I'll give it all. I'll give it all. I'll give it all. Let me narrow the world very quickly. Some people just want God to help them Have a better life. God will not do that. Here's what God does God will come and take away your death and give you new life. Those are the terms. If you say, Pastor John, I need that life, I need God's mercy, I need His grace, I'm willing to come and give Him all. I'll give Him all of myself, all of my heart. I don't want to hold anything back. Would you pray for me today? If that's you, just slip your hand up right now. Pastor, pray for me. It's narrow. I see you, sir. Guys, I see you in the back. It's narrow. I see you in the back. I see you in the back. You bet. It's narrow. It's very narrow. 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 Yep. Count the cost before you put your hand up. Count it. It's narrow. 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 Yes, sir. got you, too. Yes, sir. Yep. Narrow really narrow this may not be the road to prosperity still want in it may cost you everything still want to do it see ya you may suffer still want to do it Your life will not be your own. Still won't do it? Okay, here's what I want to do. I want us all to pray this prayer because I don't want those who are responding to it to have to feel like I've singled them out. So I would like all of you just to repeat after me. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I give my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me your life. I surrender. I'll be a disciple. Help me. Live in me. Work in me. It's the best that can happen. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I don't want to leave you in some down place. The truth of the matter is God's given you new life. And new life is joy, peace, righteousness gentleness, meekness, self-control, all the fruits of the Spirit belong to you. It'll be the greatest decision you ever made, but I'm not going to fool you. It may not be for this life that you get your reward. It may be for the life to come. Don't turn back. Do not turn back. If you made that decision today, I want you to do me a favor on your way out of here at all the major exits you'll find individuals carrying white gold envelopes they both have the same material in it material is just how to have a relationship with God when you walk out grab that information nobody will chase you down nobody will do anything funny to you if you meant the decision then you take the time to get the envelope if you meant the decision you take the time to get the envelope For the rest of you, I'd like you to stand to your feet right now, all of us in the sanctuary. Our worship pastors come and lead us during this time of worship right here. Folks, I'd ask you to wrestle with God over this message. If you can walk away from this message without giving it a thought, you didn't hear what I said. Wrestle with him right now. Talk to him. Commit to him. Open your heart to him. Maybe you're at that place of just doesn't seem like anything I'm trying is working. Are you going to be faithful? Will you be faithful? Will you be a disciple? Will you follow the way of the master? yeah, I'm not going to soften it. Can you count on you, Ben?